Today is July the 12th, 2020. I don't know about you, but I would love for this year to be over, right? Who, who could have dreamed just six months ago that halfway through the year we would have uh, been going through all that we've been going through? And, and I just want to acknowledge right now, for so many of us, this has been a difficult time. Um, so many of you are at home, so many of your jobs have been affected, relationships have been affected. That's why it's so wonderful to see uh, so many of you here today and so many of you joining us online. Uh, many of you I've, I've met, seen today, this is your first time to join us live, and I hope you see how safely we're doing this. We also love our people that are joining us online because um, we just need each other right now. And, and I know it's hard to find the normal ways of connection, but I, I don't know about you, but just any connection I can find, uh, I'm really excited about. And I just want to say to all of you, we appreciate so much your flexibility. I mean, like if you came in this morning, we flipped the seats on you, and you guys were just willing to do that. Uh, next week, pay close attention to this announcement. We are going to change service times to 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, after a lot of discussion, it seemed like 10 a.m. was working for both services and our online people well, and so mark that down next Sunday. This afternoon of the long, because of the new city ordinance that we're hoping is going to be modified, we have assurances of that, but right now we're going to have to wear a mask out there. And if for some reason it's raining, we're now ready to come in here if we need to. So thank you for being so um, nimble. Speaking of nimble, I've got to take care of something before I get started because it's driving me crazy. Who left this up here? I'm, just go ahead and move to the front row, okay? Okay, Brother Kirkland? Man, those things. When you're OCD, those things drive you crazy. Okay, so glad to have all that cleared up before we get started. Be flexible, yes. I just demonstrated it, okay? I stayed the whole service watching it. All right. 1 Kings chapter 19, we are still in the life of Elijah. We're just going to look at a couple of verses from his life that you might could just pass over really quickly and not notice their significance. I have for years. The Lord said to him, this is when he's still in that cave, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshah, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Sapheth, from Abel Meloah, to succeed you as prophets. Now, I want you to look closely at those verses, because God's asking him to go back to a very painful place. In fact, look at this sentence. God commands Elijah to go back to his worst moment and confront his greatest fear. What are you talking about, buddy? His worst moment was when he had that meltdown in the desert of Damascus where the guy gets suicidal because Jezebel is after him. It was the worst moment in his life. And obviously from that moment, his greatest fear was Queen Jezebel. And you may not notice this, but when he's appointing Jehu, king of Israel, he's setting up a coup to overthrow Ahab and Jezebel. So he's going back to his worst moment and to his greatest fear. And guys, so many of us, we have unfinished business that keeps us from really moving on. Often we get stuck 
in our past. I remember a young man coming to me two years ago. He'd worked here at the church. He had done maintenance, set up chairs. It had been 10 years before, but he had cheated on his timesheet. And he'd gotten some money he really didn't deserve. And he came back to me 10 years later to give me a check to say, before I can move on, I've got to get this clear. I can remember meeting with a married man who was stuck because seven years before he met with me on a business trip, he had had an affair. And he'd kept it quiet and it was killing him. So I said to him, you need to go tell your wife. She needs to know about this. He said, she doesn't deserve this. I said, I know. But she also doesn't deserve not to know. And it took him going back and getting some things clear to be able to move on with his life. It's the father I talked to years ago that had abandoned his children who needed to go back and to apologize. So often things, it's things in our past that we've done that we're embarrassed by and can't get unstuck from. Often, though, it's also things that someone else has done to us that we can't get unstuck from. So that's what Elijah is doing. Because let's just be honest here. It would be easier to avoid these issues. It's easier to run away like Elijah. It's easier just to block it out of your mind. It's easier just to act like it didn't happen. It's easier just to make excuses. It's easier just to blame someone else. That's easier. But, but mark this down. It's more painful in the long run. It's going to come back to bite you. And normally it happens in difficult times or times of transition. I think that's what's so, so challenging about the days we're living in right now. Because it's, it's, you know, it's the married couple that's been, you know, all of a sudden home all day together. Now, for some couples, that's been absolute bliss. For other couples, it's revealed that there's some issues in their marriage. And so it's easier to, to just push it down, but at some point, it can come up. And I think especially during these days when at least many of us have just too much time to think. And our brain goes back to those past bad experiences done to us and things we've done. Our nation's this way. It wasn't but a couple of decades ago, or three decades ago, in the 1980s and 1990, I guess that's four decades ago, the political candidates actually talked about the national debt. That was a big issue in political campaigns. I stinking voted for Ross Perot because I thought he was the only one talking about it. Wasted vote. But now, in this campaign, I'm just going to tell you, no one will mention it. We're acting like it's not going on. But catch this statistic. Every person in America has a $68,000 debt because nobody is paying attention to it. And I know during times like this, there's a wisdom of paying even into debt. But the problem is, even when our economy has been booming, no one has done anything but add to the debt. And our children and our grandchildren, many of us, they're going to be the ones that are going to pay for that. It, it's more painful in the long run. If you've been hurt by someone and you've not come to resolution about it, and it's coming into anger, that anger can develop into depression, See, it explodes in those days. Pressure makes these things come out. 
You've probably seen the statistics of the amount of couples who get a divorce after the death of a child. Some people say it's as high as 70%. So, we have to deal with this. Now, I hear an objection. Sometimes I can make it myself. We just need to focus on the positive. I don't want to go back into that. Just leave that back there, you know. And I'm just going to focus on what's going good in my life. We were talking about this in uh, our worship planning meeting this week. And I was asking Dan, specific because of his counseling background, what would you say to that? He said, it's like someone saying, I've got a thousand great things going in my life that I could list. And I've got stage four cancer. But I'm just not going to pay attention to that. You can't avoid dealing with the issue, even if you have a lot of other positive things going on in your life. So let me, let me point out to you real quickly four instruments of bondage, okay, when you're not dealing with your past. First of all, is just Satan. He's an instrument of putting you into bondage. He's going to use this event in your past as a trump card on you. And anytime things start going well, or you start getting on your feet, or you're emotionally happy, he's going to throw this back in front of your face. Hey, but remember what you did back then? Remember the label you got back when that happened? Remember what your dad did to you back in your childhood? He's going to use it. And he's going to give you two temptations. One temptation is just to, um, to be in pride, like, you know what? <laughs> You know, I, I didn't do anything wrong, you know, so I mean, just to, to live in, I'm okay, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm above all of this. That, that's one temptation. The other temptation would be to, to live in shame. He could just keep you stuck in a spirit of shame. And that's our next word up here, which is shame. This is an incredible instrument. You say, what is the difference in guilt and shame? Guilt is feeling bad about something you've done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Now, this is not always true. But in most times, guilt is an instrument of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we live in a culture that says you should never feel guilty about anything. If the preacher comes down hard, you're going to say, he's just trying to make me feel guilty. I'm telling you guys, guilt is not a bad thing. If you've messed up and you've not repented and you're living in disobedience... The Holy Spirit's going to use guilt to motivate you to do something. But shame, on the other hand, is an instrument of Satan to keep you living in this. Not did you do something bad, but now you think you are someone bad. And you begin to just label yourself by this past failure or mistake. And that leads us to the third instrument, which is silence. I just can't talk about it. And if I don't talk about it, maybe it'll go away. And that's where we get the phrase, you're suffering in silence. And then finally, it's the word of our series, you just get stuck. It's the quicksand we all heard about growing up, and we've never physically encountered, but emotionally and spiritually, we're just stuck. And our past is defining us, and we're not able to move on. It's Elijah who could be stuck in his breakdown, and is completely magnifying the worst and not seeing God at all. It's the girl that got pregnant in high school who feels like that labors her, labels her the rest of her life. It's the druggie whose folks have labeled him that way, who despite the fact he's trying to work on it and making progress, that's the way he sees himself. 
It's the woman who cheated on her husband who can never quite get past it. It's the absent dad who doesn't know what to do or the abusive dad that's been in your life. I like how Mark Job put it because we've got to deal with this. He, he writes this, and this is the ways we try to get out of this. The resentful husband doesn't want marriage counseling. He wants to find a new wife. The disgruntled church member doesn't want to work through his issues with his church. He wants to find a new church. The indebted young man doesn't want to go through financial peace and learn how to handle his money. He would rather just play the lottery. The single woman doesn't want to deal with the drives that make her go from one bad relationship to another. She just wants to find a new dating service. The compulsive eater doesn't want to deal with what compels her to binge. She just wants a new diet pill. You see, guys, listen to me. The problem with all of that is even when you get to that new place, you are still there. And that baggage is keeping you in bondage. So let's spend a little time talking about the weight of freedom. And let's go back and look at these four instruments of bondage and how we can get past each one of them. First of all is Satan. And the answer to that is for you and I to call God into the picture. You see, Scripture says, greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. Because so often we give Satan a lot of credit, and some of it he deserves, but often we give him more credit than he deserves, as if he is on the same level of power of God. He's not, not even close. He's limited. He's been chained. And God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving. It's like, um, I don't watch this, but I thought about it. WrestleMania, okay? Boy, that's the sport we're really going to miss. I mean, maybe they're doing it. But anyway, if you get stuck in a, you know, a chokehold, you know what you got to do? You got to get to the edge, and you got to get to the ropes, and you got to touch that partner of yours who's 10 times stronger than you, who can jump in the ring and get that guy off you. And guys, when we get stuck in this chokehold of Satan, what we've got to do through prayer is to get close enough to God to say, God, would you intervene? Can I put you in this picture? You see, all of us have this picture in our mind of what happened to us or what we did in the past. We've all, we've all got regrets from the past. We're all sinners. Because that picture can look pretty bleak and that picture can dominate your life. The only way to change it is to put God in the middle of that picture. And to believe that God can change what looks to be a pretty bleak picture into actually something that's full of hope and change and even something that God can use. So you got to invite him into the picture because he changes everything and he's got the power. Now how about this issue of shame? You've got to embrace who he says you are. We're going to sing that song during communion. You see, here's the problem is I've got all these voices in my head that tell me I'm not enough. You know, God's so good about changing people's labels, actually literally changing people's names. Think of Abram who becomes Abraham. 
You think of uh, Jacob who becomes Israel. You think of Saul who becomes Paul. Here's what I wonder. How long did it take for Abraham to actually think his name was Abraham? How long did it take Jacob to believe he was the blessed one of Israel? How long did it change, take the murderer Saul to believe he was the saved man Paul? You got to keep listening to those voices. I was thinking about this this weekend and thought, man, if I could just believe everything God says about me in Ephesians chapter 1, in fact, not even the whole chapter, I just, I just went through Ephesians chapter 1 and circled in the first 14 verses everything God says about us. This is what I need to pay attention to. I'm blessed. I'm chosen. I'm holy and blameless in His sight. I'm predestined. I'm adopted. I'm a son or daughter. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. His grace has been lavished on me. My life is to the praise of His glory. I am marked by the Holy Spirit. I am God's possession. Now, just think. If you believed who God says you are, just in that one passage... Instead of the lie that Satan's telling you how different your life would be. And guys, that's why I challenge you and I challenge myself. That's why we got to constantly stay in the Word. Because we watch so much media and so many Netflix specials and God forbid all the news today. And we hear those old voices in our mind coming back and back and back from our past. And I've got to hear the voice of God in the clearest place for you to absolutely always, no exceptions, hear the voice of God is in his inspired word. So stay in the word. So how do we overcome this instrument of silence that just allows us to suffer all by ourselves? We talk to someone. The Bible talks a lot about the power of confession, the power of speech. I think when you talk out loud about something, you always de-energize it. So I, I challenge you, you need to take it to God. You need to listen who God is, but he put us in a family so that we also have someone to actually talk out loud to. So that's why Maybe be a good day-to-day to talk to your life group about it. You might just need to call a friend this afternoon. And you might just need to go to some professional counseling. And I was talking to a young man this week who, you know, when he first had children, he just stayed angry with his kids. And finally, he was encouraged to go to counseling. And he went to counseling for that. And he went in and spent an hour... He didn't really talk about his children. He talked about his dad. And then he said, how is this going to help me with my children? And the counselor said, maybe we ought to acknowledge the real issue of your anger is your dad. You see, that is so important. you got to talk out loud to it. I don't know if you read this two, week, two years ago in the paper about First Presbyterian Church of Montgomery. And and this is so cool because this happened before all the racial tension of our culture. But in 2017, First Presbyterian Church decided to deal with its past. 
1956, they had made a resolution for their church that no member of the Negro race, this is a quotation, could be a member of the church or even come into its sanctuary. They reaffirmed that in 1960. In 1975, someone had made a mistake of inviting a black pastor to speak, and the church walked out. In the 1980s, it was controversial to have a black kid in their preschool. And so they decided to deal with it in two years of repentance. Not asking forgiveness for what they had personally done because nobody was hardly left from those days. But asking God to remove his discipline from that church by acknowledging the past, there's a power of actually just talking about something. And then how about this, this, this issue of being, being stuck? And, and here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do. You've got to take a decisive action. There may be something physical, something that you need to do to mark down that this is the end of this. I think of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 when he comes to Jesus, he repents of all the money he'd stolen, and he offers to pay his creditors four times more than he stole from them. Can you imagine the line at his door? I think of what Jesus said in Matthew 5 about what we're doing right now is if we come in this place of worship and we know we've got somebody, something against somebody, it would be better for us to walk out of this service and go get it resolved before we worship. And then there's a crazy passage I've never paid attention to in Exodus chapter, chapter 4 where Moses has got some unfinished business. Now, this could make a 48-hour special. Listen to what's going on here. You've got a man, Moses, who's grasping for breath. God's about to kill him. You've got a teenager groaning in a puddle of blood. And you got a woman with a sharp object in her hand. Now, I'm not going to get in the depth on this, but listen to verse 24 through 25. Moses is coming out of the desert. He's going back into ministry in Egypt. And he's been disobedient by not circumcising his oldest son. And I can't get around it. God's about to kill him. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zephorah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Moses had to deal with his disobedience before he could move forward. And I want to challenge you. It may be something rather dramatic that you need to do. I remember years ago, one of my favorite weeks in this church, we used to have this, this big cross used to be right here. And we challenged everybody in the church the next week to bring something physical to lay at the foot of the cross of something that they wanted to put behind them. And there were cell phones and TVs and DVRs and there was just piles of stuff. I wish we could do it today but we've got social but it was it was just amazing and it was so helpful to just physically throw something at the cross and say God I'm leaving it there 
And you may need to do something like that. You may need to go back to that place where there's so much pain. You may need to go apologize to that person. You may need to take something and go burn it. Do something to physically say it's there. Now, that was a powerful Sunday, except for the brother who laid his pack of cigarettes up there and went back after the service to pick them up. (laughs) Didn't do him a lot of good. But you've got to do something to say, this is over. And here's the cool thing. After you've worked through those issues, we're going to add another S. And this is what's going to be the most healing part of it all, is that you can come to a point where now you can share it. You can use it for God's glory. Isn't that crazy? I was reading my quiet time this week, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Where Paul's talking about his past. Can you imagine the first time Paul had to go back in Jerusalem and face what he had done? You know, listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners. Oh, listen, this is so awesome. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. And then don't forget verse 17. It ends up being to God's glory. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And God's, we have witnessed in this space dozens of times over the last 20 years, someone coming before our church and sharing what we call their testimony that normally includes the worst thing that's ever happened in their life, that now is the moment for their ministry and healing. You've got to do something, and then in the long run, it ends up being something that you can share. Okay. I want us to spend some special time at communion. Somebody hand me a cup real quick. Tell me you got one of the the little cups. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I found out we have a need to explain these little deals, okay? I'll give you mine in just a second. But as you take communion, there there are actually two tariffs here. Some people think we're only drinking the uh, juice, okay? Preacher gets all the bread, right? But not really. But I want you to see here is that there's a top pull-off that will get you to that styrofoam piece of bread, okay? <laughs> and then there's another pull-off that will get you to the juice, okay? So I want everybody to be able to, some people have only been taking one for weeks, so we want to get that cleared up. Now, here's, now let's get serious again for a second. Here's what I want you to do. I want this to be a really extremely special communion time for you. And I want you to just spend your time with the Lord today. I want you to face in this moment, your worst moment, your greatest fear, your biggest regret, and bring it in the shadow of the cross. We used to pray a really dangerous prayer around communion. Lord, as we come to this table, help us to forget all the cares and worries of the world. That's not what God wants you to do. God wants you to bring it to him. And there's not a better moment than during communion where we celebrate the grace and love of God.
because there's nothing you've experienced and nothing you've done that cannot be put behind because of a God who loved you enough to die on the cross for you. So spend some time in meditation, have the courage to think about these three things and literally leave them at the cross. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity we have to come to your table and to bring every piece of junk and mess and sin and hurt of our life to a place of amazing grace and love and forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful proclamation. You can be seated just for a moment. Boy, that song puts it exactly the way I needed to hear it this morning. I want to ask you just a simple question as we close out. We'll be out of here in about five minutes. Are you stuck? As we've talked about the past and things that have happened to you or things that you have done, is there a sticking point that's keeping you from moving forward in complete freedom to be everything that God has dreamed about you being? I know one thing I'm hearing consistently right now is that we really miss the response time in our services. We really miss what happens in this incredibly open church on this front row. And I want to try to reestablish that this morning. Whether you're online or you're here in person with us, I'm giving you a number up here. And I would like you to text your response. And this is not just a prayer request. This is your response. And we're going to we're going to let the church know what's going on with us this week. So we will send this out later in the week in an email. If your prayer request is private, just please mark that for you know, the elders or staff. But other than that, I would love for you and me and everybody online with us, if there's somewhere that you're stuck, just put that number in your phone right now and just text it. Just take a moment right now to put down what's, what's holding you back. Also, I'd like to ask if you've had a victory, if there's somewhere you have been stuck and recently you have become unstuck, we'd love to share that with the church too. So please make sure it's okay for us to share it. If not, put your prayer request for private. But as a church, I think one of the greatest things that we do is that we... Um, We get to pray for each other every Sunday. Do you know how unique that is even in church today? And I I believe God has established an environment in this church where we can be open, where I can tell you when I'm stuck in depression, or you can tell me if you're stuck in pornography or stuck in your marriage or stuck with your, I mean, whatever it may be. I don't think there's any reason to be embarrassed. And that's why we love the story of Elijah. We would not be reading about Elijah if he had not messed up. If Elijah had been this perfect prophet, we would never have any desire to go and read this because it wouldn't meet us. But here's one of the great men of the Bible who was absolutely stuck and God gave him very specific instructions. So I want to ask you to do that, okay? Just take the time right now. and. Uh...